Welcome back to Incremental, the continuous improvement podcast. This is our practice edition for this week. I'm Devin Bedoni. And I'm Uriel Eisen. And uh, we're going to be going over some improvements that we made in the shop this last week. And Uriel has a quote. Quote of the week. The problem is that most people believe that the current condition is fixed and cannot be changed. The Toyota way. I think this is very key. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're all guilty of this. And then some people are especially guilty of this. And maybe really, if you start to ask why more, it's because we are not trained as a society to think about changing things that don't, that seem structural. Maybe like there's a lot of things in life that we are just like, that's just the way it is. And we tend to yeah. cascade that through our, <clears throat> our work environments, our home environments, and just assume that it is how it is. And we shouldn't question. It I think in many ways. Yeah. I think that the, the habit is to ask why one time. Yeah. And Toyota recommends asking why five times. Right. And it's, it's, uh, it's very powerful um, in that there's often a very good reason why you're doing something a particular way. And then if you stop there because it's a great reason, that's it. Like there's your reason, <laughs> mission accomplished. We stick with what we're doing. But if you ask why does that, why is that reason a reality? Why, like why does that reason exist? Mm -hmm. Or why is that a constraint like you start to move past that in a way that you can actually start solving, like that starts moving the needle. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to remember to do, but it, it's useful. I would say like recently I had a bit of a, a lean win in the home life. <laughs> um, there was a bit of conflict around, um, I forget what it was exactly. And it was kind of like, Oh, well, why, like, why is that thing happening? Yeah. It's like, oh, we don't have, oh, I think it was around like how laundry is handled. And it's like, we don't have a clean lawn. We don't have somewhere for the laundry to live after, like when it's dry and yeah. done, but not away. <laughs> yeah. And so then it's just out. And so it's like, well, if, it, if we just have a, so we're just going to have a clean laundry bin and then hamper sort yep, of thing. And that solves that problem. And that was only asking like why twice, I guess. Yeah. At the end of the day, if we got into five times, we'd probably redesign our whole house. But um, <laughs> this, this house is highly optimized for laundry flow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where do you sleep? Oh, there's no place to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Just didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think asking why five times is kind of the answer. But um, this is big. And I think it's important. Very and, transformative. Yeah. It's something that, like, my employees, like, uh, have expressed that they they find challenging hmm. um and i think it's something that many people find challenging to like think out like i think many of us are taught to uh like not ask why <laughs> well i think we're taught to like improve and refine within the known constraints uh-huh and many people probably even like take comfort in the constraints to a certain extent. Like you could, those are reliable, reliable boundaries. Right. And, um, when you sort of like blow those apart, I think cool things can happen, but also it can be really overwhelming for people. Like if you're like, okay, why do we eat at a table? And 
people are like, well, because you do. You're like, well, what if there were no tables? Like, maybe there's a better way to eat. And people are like, shut up. <laughs> like, I, when I was in India, someone invited me over to their house, and it was in a city. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't, like, rural or anything. They were well off, and yeah. they did not have a table. Yeah. And it kind of blew my mind. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, this did work. Yeah. The food did get in my mouth. Yeah, and um, I just think, like, so, so anyway, I think my employees have expressed that like sometimes trying to like restructure the whole system is like hard for them to think about for good. I guess just for good yeah. reason. It's like when you blow the doors off, <laughs> the doors are off, <laughs> the doors are off. <laughs> yeah. The wind comes in. Yeah. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I wonder if some of it also has to do with like blame to some extent. Cause I think like often that first answer, the second it's out of your control, it's not your fault. And Mm. I wonder... You mean it's like the the system's fault? Like, or I did what I could. Or like, oh, our stupid supplier did this again. And uh-huh. it's like, well, that doesn't help anyone just because you can sort of assign blame yeah. away from yourself. One example that really stuck with me, I think it was in the Toyota way. Toyota had a... And I know we've talked about it here, but it's just such an interesting story. Toyota had a, um, a part that was coming in out of spec from a supplier. Yep. And they went to the supplier... And it was a very old machine that was making that part. And the author of the Toyota Way, I forget the author's name. Jeffrey Liker. That sounds right. Um, was basically like most companies would just tell the tell their supplier, like, you need to get a new machine. Right. Or they'd fire the supplier or something. But what it turned out was that the job of running that machine was a really uh, mindless boring job and so they had really high turnover and actually the machine was old but it still was just as good as new machines and the way they ended up fixing the problem like they just kept asking why like why do we have a bad tolerance why you know Mm -hmm. and what they ended up doing to fix it was making the job more interesting yeah and that was it and then it fixed it because they had retention and so they could do really good training and the person stuck around and could make good parts yeah definitely blowing the doors off conventional wisdom yeah yeah and it's really easy to just be like our stupid supplier isn't sending us good parts we got to find a new supplier yeah fix it (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so interesting some want to hit us with some improvements yeah so most of them sometimes i feel bad that we're like kind of harp on the same things for a few weeks in a row but i think it's just because that's the nature of our processes and that these things develop slowly so most of it has to do with uh, our new job board. Um, so some of these are actually, most of these are just ideas that I wanted to run by you. Um, I've, I've talked about it before, but one of the big challenges with our process, because it's not a physical thing, has because it's like a bunch of, uh, or there are physical, sorry, going back there are physical aspects of the process that are easy to track in sequence because things can only be in one place at a time. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these informational aspects of the process that can be out of sequence up to a point. And so indicating those for good visibility Mm. in one place has been an ongoing struggle. Um, So my initial plan with this new job board was to have basically be, you know, well, it's a mix actually, but was to divide what was on the board in terms of like the categories for dependent processes mm-hmm. and then to have 
um, independent processes, for lack of a better term, just be checklist essentially on okay. on the actual traveler. Um, it pretty quickly became clear that even though that is largely the case, it might make sense to have the complete checklist on the traveler, even though some of those things are easily indicated by sequence, like on the, like by placement on Mm -hmm. the board for example, well, just for edge cases, basically something happens to happen out of sequence. You can indicate it to some, to everybody without having to go tell everybody. Okay. Um, for repeat jobs. So let, you know, if it's going to flow within the system, let's say like a repeat job comes back in, uh, say let's the stock's already there. It's already programmed. Maybe the tools are even preset, mm. but it still goes into the sequence of the, right. Because it's a, you know, quote unquote Kanban system, but you need to be able to tell everybody needs to be able to know that like this one's here, but then as soon as the one in front moves, it can move because all the stuff is checked off already. Right. Um, so I think that's going to be our next update. Interesting. To the system is having a complete checklist there as sort of like a backup information repository, sort of like, mm-hmm. or like a communication tool, I guess is really what it is for things that, for anything that happens out of sequence. Right. Or that can't be indicated by the placement on the board. Yeah, that's very interesting. Does that make sense? I understand the challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Also, I think I've had a couple of messages that made it, maybe it's not clear that like we're not doing a full paper managed job management system. Mm -hmm. These, these uh, travelers are merely physical representations of like digital assets, I guess you'd say. Okay. Um, So we're using them to track status, but we're not actually putting specific data on this paper. Right. If that makes sense. They, everything on this references back to a digital copy of a job that has all of the specifics mm-hmm. related to gotcha. the job. Um, cause I think some people are like, why are you using paper? Um, this, this little part happens to be something that's hard to do with, with digital. Um, and then one other, this is a question slash proposal. Okay. So for things that have secondary processing, so for example, run on a lathe, run on a mill. Yeah. Again, it comes back to like sequencing more or less. There are situations where it can be running on both at once. And so it needs to have, uh, essentially needs to have two travelers to indicate both. So I was thinking about maybe having a different color tag that indicates that it's a secondary process. And we'll literally just have two that can be in the, in the flow. And it's just like the one can't be ahead of the other. Well, actually it can, can can be ahead of the other. Here's what I'm sort of thinking. I don't know if this is a useful insight at all. Yeah. I think using the word Kanban, (laughs) this isn't really a Kanban in that there's no card. 
There's it's no not only that, also, you're doing a hybrid thing. You're indicating sometimes, you're always indicating where it is in the process. Yeah. But you're sometimes referring to one batch that moves as one and sometimes as multiple batches that are moving through, right? Like the yeah. case where it splits and some are on the mill and some are on the lathe. Yeah. In a classic Kanban setup, the one Kanban from the mill saying like, hey, I need parts to mill mm -hmm. goes to the lathe. The lathe says, oh, here are your parts. Yeah. Goes back to the mill. So in that case, you could see that it's over at the mill, mm -hmm. right? But in your case, it's just this... Yeah, it's just this traveler. Okay, this is probably not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can't think about these things as Kanban cards. What would happen is if you put a traveler at the end of... Sorry, your processes are across the board vertically, right? Yeah, so okay. things travel from left to right. Yeah. From left to right. Okay, what if you put your traveler all the way at the right side of the board? And your traveler had a bunch of cards that populated that row and they sort of got gathered like scooched along in a funny way like you'd almost put kanbans in every column mm -hmm. and actually use them as kanbans for managing that job as it flows through the shop but then what comes in behind it a different row or something. Oh, I see. They're all marching across the board in unison. Yeah. Well, no, you could have multiple cards in one row of different jobs. <laughs> because like that that is kind of like different columns or different row. Sorry, you could have multiple cards in one row. Okay. Or in different rows. It doesn't but like in one column, you uh -huh. could have multiple cards. And the card order would dictate their sequence on that machine. I think the advantage could be, and it's very complicated, so I'm not sure it actually makes sense. <laughs> the advantage could be the second it was actually a Kanban, you would have a card for each batch as it got past it around the shop. Uh huh. And so, like, when you have some parts that flow from the mill to the lathe, that process could be indicated mm -hmm. and would could be clear. Anyway, just yeah. a thought is not, I'm curious, what was your? So my thought was just to be able to distinguish which was which, basically color coding for. Okay. Have Instead of color coding by week, it would be like color code as secondary process. By, instead of color coding by due date week, we'd be like, this one is the primary, this is the secondary. So you're tracking the primary in terms of like delivery date or okay. something. But the secondary one is like, we need to know that this also has to move through this process. Yes. I just had a dumb idea. Okay. <laughs> Blow the doors off. <laughs> um, you know how there are those like lanyard retracting spools? I think. So. Yes. Yes. For like What would happen and... if you had one with two magnets <laughs> on either end? So you could drop a magnet somewhere on a whiteboard and drag a string that pointed to a secondary. So you could show like an easily deployable, this will go there. And then pretty soon you have the meme of the guy explaining <laughs> the, uh, exactly. the conspiracy theory. <laughs> With the strings all over, connecting all the dots. Yeah, yeah. I, I like where you're going. I think maybe we can do that in a way that doesn't involve string. <laughs> I want string. Um, 
Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So a color indicating that it will go to a second process, basically. Um, a color indicating that the second tag, kind of what you're talking about, a duplicate <laughs> tag or duplicate traveler uh-huh. is the secondary process. Okay. So gotcha. that you know that these aren't independent jobs. Right. Like, which you can infer based on job number and stuff and part number, but less visually apparent. Yeah. I think it would be good to have like a highlight of like, this is a, that makes sense. This is an also. Yeah. Hearing you say that also, it does seem like the real value here is visibility. Yeah. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. So saying like you can get that information is sort of, you can also get it out of the computer. Right. <laughs> sure. It's like, yeah, I feel like that should be always the, the driver uh-huh. kind of maybe. Yeah. Visibility should be the driver. I think so. Like at a glance, you're like, oh, that's that color. I know it's going to flow to another machine or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, actually, really the way I should do this is that the secondary, what I'm calling the secondary process, the downstream process, that needs to be the quote-unquote primary. Yes, that's that, pulling from the other. Well, and that like all of, that's the key one where like the due date is scheduled because nothing can ship until that happens. And the other one is, is merely a feeder. Mm-hmm. And what does that change? Um, which one is the out of standard as it were? Gotcha. Yeah. It's almost like it has to take another stop after the saw mm-hmm. instead yeah. of. Yeah. That makes sense. Actually, that would also simplify things because it seems like you have a couple workflows. One is it go, like stock to the lathe, right? Where mm-hmm. it's bar pulling. Mm-hmm. Then you have stock to the saw to the mill Mm -hmm. then you probably have stock to saw to lathe yep and And stock to saw to lathe to mill yeah and then also sometimes bar pull to lathe to mill but it rarely goes to from the mill to the lathe very rarely Mm. at least almost never right now right yeah not to say it couldn't but Right, yeah. but it just seems like laying out those, there aren't actually that many possible workflows. Mm-hmm. Would it make sense to put the lathe, or maybe it is already, on the board that is not parallel to the mills? I thought about doing this. Like a lathe pre-op, or maybe just a pre-op column. Mm. Like maybe, an, and sometimes it skips it. Well, or is that harder? I mean, you're so familiar with this and the columns are like, yeah, the (laughs) the issue is that we're organizing by work center and time on work center and a pre-op still counts as time on a work center. I see what you're saying. So if it hits it, you need to be able to see that such that it doesn't allow another job to exist in that space at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Hmm. about trying to arrange it as like sequential machine to machine so that you could flow one into the other, but there's a physical <laughs> space right. constraint even just on a big whiteboard i think ours is five by four mm-hmm. with these four by six travelers it's like that eats up it's yeah interesting it, it gets pretty packed right um yeah anyway so those are two kind of like ongoing edit thoughts i'm having yeah. um one we talked about this a while ago counting um and how to minimize recounting mm-hmm. of parts and so we enabled all the parts counters on the machines and we got that part pretty well going okay but we never 
set up a good SOP for how to handle any scrap, all gotcha. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so we haven't fully set this up, but we had a discussion about it this last week because the machine counts whether it's good or not, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you need to know what your actual count of good saleable parts are. Um, so the initial thought was to have a place where we put any scrapped parts. Okay. And count, just count those at the end. Um, but there's also like edge cases where maybe the scrap part goes down the chute and you didn't find it in the chips or also just if they're large parts, where do you put all those? Like if you start, right. Like hopefully it's not too many, but if you know, they do take up space on a bench top or something, they're in the way. So the, the idea we have right now, we haven't fully implemented it, but the idea is if you're operating and you scrap a part, you increase the part goal in the parts counter. Oh, I like that. For every one right. that, that it hits. Is that easy? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you can't do it in cycle. Or on gotcha. the Brothers, you can't do it in cycle. I think on the Fanuc, on the lathe, you can. Um, Just so... You know, if there, that's like, that's a, that's right. a permanent, this needs to be changed. Um, and as long as you're reliable about doing that, you don't need to necessarily go back and find the, the scrapped parts. And there's no question of if those parts are the right number of scrapped parts. Yeah. I think it goes, sort of goes back to that, uh, single point of truth. Was that yeah. the term? Yeah. Right. I feel like that often happens where you're like, yes, I did count, but let me let me double count. Yeah. <laughs> let me make extra sure. And we're doing that often yeah. because not, you know, not making enough has large consequences. So like I understand, um, you know, mostly internal consequences to like most customers will forgive a short part or something. Okay. Not that we try and do that, but yeah. that's not usually the end of the world. But if we discover that we're short and we've already done another setup, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a wrench in the works. So we have been recounting. Another thing is just like arranging on our finished parts trays in predictable fashion so that they're, you know, faster to count. Uh -huh. like, this is always a row of 10 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a thing we're continuing to try and streamline because mm -hmm. we, yeah, it ends up being a significant amount of, well, it's not that much time, but it is like thinking and like concern that, I don't think is like helpful. Everyone, there's this brief moment where everybody, you know, like the, the, the frequency in the hive, like raises, like, are there enough? Are there enough? Did anybody count? Are there enough? <laughs> I'm about to change this. Are there enough? <laughs> right. And if that was just not a question of like, Oh, 103 was hit. Uh, we needed a hundred. I guess we scrapped three. Um, that would be good. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, one other small one. I had mentioned that we were going to order more smaller filter bags for mm -hmm. our Freddy or for our Freddy process. It doesn't actually go in the Freddy. Um, we tried five micron okay. this last week. It was not enough. Mm -hmm. I think this was on the R450. That machine has been running one of those brush research brushes oh. for the last three months for deburring just for finish oh, they wanted a more of a matte finish okay. they wanted very smooth but matte okay um 
And that, I think that thing just makes this kind of like sludge. That would make sense. Yeah. And so I think that was the primary issue with that machine. We are going to get some one micron bags to try because uh-huh. the five micron like barely even slowed it down. Like just kind of gushed out the side and we we're like, well, we could wait, <laughs> you know, 30, 30 seconds and get a better filtration yeah. level. I think that makes sense. Um, so that's my filter bag update. If you're going to do it, skip the five micron, go to something finer. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm wondering in this probably not a good answer. I wonder if just adding a filter somewhere on the CNC. Yeah. Like a cartridge filter uh-huh. would, could solve that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I think people, I mean, people have certainly done that. Yeah. It would have to be a pretty high flow for those machines. Yeah. Unless it was an, an additional loop that was just for filtration, but that would oh. be kind of weird. With a separate pump? You could do. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's not a bad idea. It could actually be pretty slow. That's true. I wonder if it would do enough. Yeah. Or like use the washdown pump rarely runs from a, mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. With a valve? Yeah, or something. I don't know. I, I was just thinking about that washdown pump the other day. I'm like yeah. it's sitting there most of the time. I should be able to use it. Like having a sequenceable washdown that was hit more spots yeah at equal volume kind of did i mention that thing that someone sent me um it's this system that basically does what we're talking about okay so they put it's got a big rotary valve very cool that i think has like maybe 10 positions or something just increments through them it increments through them and then they have all of these little like spray nozzles that you position around your machine that's awesome and it like in sequence hits all these spots so that in the in oh. one cycle, basically, you you really like specifically wow. wash down every corner of your I machine. I like that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think you could probably get away with just like two, you know, like maybe. right, not ten. Yeah, like you know, interesting. Like a front front half of the machine that's like uber wash down, and then a rear half that's uber wash down. Right, right, right. And would be worth doing. I would say once I was going through the trouble, I would probably put. A bun- I see the temptation, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Of like, well, if we're doing this, <laughs> we're doing this. Um, I, yeah. I think that's very cool. I'd love to see who's doing that. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It's a company up in Canada, I think. And do uh, they build the valve? I think so. Okay. I just skimmed it on my phone and I was like, uh-huh. this is a good concept. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not, yeah. I'm not like going to rush out and buy theirs necessarily, although maybe I will. Yeah. Um, I think they're built for plug and play in a Haas. I'm not sure if they would plug and play in our machines. Gotcha. Um, where are we going with that? Oh, filtering. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you were to have a, I wonder One of those would, 10 could just be a loop. A filter yeah, loop. exactly. Yeah. You might need to do like, so you didn't use up all your IO, do this thing on a little PLC that yeah. just got triggered once. And then it right. ran a loop and that loop would be, whatever a two minute thing or something. brother does sell a plc uh, io extension that gives oh. you a whole bunch for like a few thousand dollars and huh. it's a few thousand dollars but it is so tempting yeah i mean if it's really plug and play i haven't done a ton of research into it uh yeah someone just mentioned it to me right because like right your now, typical industrial plc's what like three to 
three to a thousand, three hundred dollars to a thousand dollars or something. Gets you a bunch more. But it's not. That's not. I guess. I guess what I'm saying is like, that's not orders of magnitude cheaper. Oh yeah. I mean, three hundred dollars is, but. Um, right. But if this just like literally plugs in and the machine's ready to. And you have like sixty-five more. Sixty-five. I wow. might be exaggerating. Maybe it's eight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was at all. Now that I said that number, maybe I was hoping it was six, anyway. I bet it's a duplicate of what they already have. Okay. Which yeah. Is r- right now, my flip station gripper <laughs> is wired to the same IO as my uh, mist eliminator, um, which works fine. Which is why I did it. But it's a little. I don't know if janky is quite the word, but kind of silly. Yeah. Yeah. As the flip station's going, it it moves around. That's funny. You want to jump into some stuff? Yeah. Uh, we sort of fell off doing the eight lean waste, but I'm just going to rip through them because I feel like yeah. I need them in my head and mm-hmm. it's useful. Um, so overproduction, overprocessing, excess inventory, defects, transportation, wasted motion, waiting, wasted human potential. Uh, so those are the eight helpful throughout the day to just like get in the habit I've found of just sort of thinking, what are the wastes here? What are you smiling about? <laughs> we need to have like a confessional. <laughs> what is your what is your lean waste of the week, son? <laughs> well, I was talking earlier about uh, lean in the home. Yeah. And um, my partner has taken to saying to me like, oh, that's not very lean. <laughs> um, which cracks her up. So that's good. Yeah, uh, and she told me that she figured out the secret code to get you to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, say you it know, is be more lean this way. Uh, she's often right, which is a bummer. But um, well, if you're looking at the whole system, it's great. <laughs> That's true. The success of yeah, the system uh, thinking. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. So I mentioned last episode uh, reprogrammed how we're making the soft job blanks. I'm really excited about how that's going to play out um, in the shop. I just feel like once I put my finger on it, I mean, it did take me like. I don't know, four hours to finally get a part that I was happy with. And, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Anyway, so it took, so, it was, so what's that spreadsheet out to like, what did it used to take you to make one set, including the changeover? And stuff? it wasn't about what it actually took me. It was about the pain in the ass factor that made me not do it. <clears throat> I think is more what I'm saying. Well, pain in the ass usually corresponds to time in some way. Or it was another. time and uncertainty. So every time I would op- find the file again on the computer because I just wanted to make sure. I don't love those. Um, the We've talked about this, but the Mighty Byte, uh, what are they called? Talon grips. Talon grips. They are designed to be low profile. But like in the fifth, in the five, uh, no, sorry, in the orange vice, they have the mm-hmm. Mighty Byte, you know, jaws. Yeah. Sometimes I want more and I don't have more grip, more grip. Yeah. Um, like, especially if it's on a sawn end that isn't perfectly even. Yeah. Um, so I was always a little bit worried that it would like jump up and wreck my spindle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyway, so it was ju- more that I just like would hesitate to make more. Um, the time I would say is about the same right now. It, but the changeover time was a lot longer. Right. Is that but what you're asking for? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the changeover. So I don't know. I, I should spreadsheet it out. That's a good point. I'm just curious what your, how long your four hour payback is. 
Uh, it's already paid back in my mind. <laughs> um, it's just like such a stress off of like... I don't need numbers when it feels good, okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, uh, like before, like if we damaged a set of soft jaws, I would try to like buff out a dent or something like that uh-huh. that was, you know, deforming our... Yeah, whatever. Uh, like cosmetically yeah. damaging our parts. I'd like take the time to sand them out. I might still do that, but a lot less. Like, yeah. I'm not going to mess around with that as much as just like, all right, pop another set in there. Right. Like, a th- on my list now is having all of our production parts, not just Kanbond, like our gripper fingers. I don't just want them Kanbond. I was thinking about getting SD cards and just loading the 3D printed files on them and putting that on the Kanbond card. So you just oh. walk it over to the 3D printer, plug it in, and print, right? I it's love not like. That idea. Where is the stupid file? Did yeah. I save it? Like right now I'm building out a set on the computer, mm-hmm. like file structure, but it's always, I don't know. It's a little harder to find. I just feel like that would be so easy. Yeah. Walk it over to the 3D printer, plug it in. So like I sort of want that same level of detail on my gripper, on, oh, sorry, on the vice jaws where yeah. I have a vetted, like a validated um, file to run new uh, vice jaws. Yeah. Because every time I like open the CAD file, I, you know, whatever. I'm like riding the feed rate override knob. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's not dialed and I know it. And so when I open it, I don't just have the confidence to like do the setup, which is documented. Like right now it's not documented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think sort of that whole world of just like, you don't have to think to make this happen. Right. Um, And I haven't cleared that barrier yet, but that was like a huge step to get there of just like, yeah, good fixturing one and done. You put a part in, you get a vice jaw blank out. Right. Anyway, it took me an embarrassingly long time to like come to sort of like to stop optimizing my programming for stuff like that. Stuff like for stuff that we need internally and that oh, yeah. is going to be repeat and just be like, make this with three tools. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter if it takes three or four minutes right. longer, like make it with the three tools that you know are in the machine. Yes. Always hundred percent. And it's like, yeah, don't pick any drills for this. Just interpolate those holes with the tool that's always in there. Right. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah, I'm embarrassed how long it took. No, totally. I mean, so I have that. Like, unfortunately, there's a milled, there's a, there's a drilled and tapped hole in it, which in, is, so I have oh, to yeah. load a, a drill and a tap. Yeah. Um, but I know the positions. I really should have dedicated tool holders on a setup tray for making soft jaws. Yeah, it's especially since where it's sh- always the same drill and tap. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you could even, well, it'd be nice to have the tool holders, but you can even just in, in lieu of that as a starting point just put the drill and the tap on the setup. That's true. So that like, all you have to do is find a call it and a holder at that right. point. I already have them dedicated. They're just not on a tray. Ah. Um, it's not always true. I just have had them dedicated for the, cause it's like one of the only holes I yeah. drill and tap. I mean, you're doing this stuff all the time. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Um, so that's one very excited about. Um, so this week, I've really spent a lot of time uh, talking to various business advisors, people who are more knowledgeable about uh, various things. The big focus has been on 
sort of margin and volume and how to think about the business and where we're going with all of this. Um, as I've mentioned a couple times, we've gotten some uh, like RFQs for much larger numbers, requests for quote on you know much much larger volumes of buckles, um, which is great. Uh, that has come with a lot of pressure to get our price down um, from the customer's perspective. Mm -hmm. And so the the question is, uh, like spreadsheeting it out, the question is how much margin can you drop or can you sacrifice to make that deal happen? Yeah. And the trouble is there's sort of this idea of like above the line and below the line on cost of goods. So it's yeah. sort of like, you have things that are like really direct. Like I buy a block of aluminum to make a buckle, yeah. right? Like that is cost of goods. But now how much, like there's just a bunch of other stuff. Like how do you factor in cycle time on the mill when the cost of the mill is sort of on a time basis. And so it changes depending how much work you're putting through it right. to some extent. But then there is also a wear component on the mill that has to do with how many parts you're running. So that is a direct, like, it's just not quite as clear as you would think. Then there's stuff like, I mean, not you, but just yeah, like yeah, yeah. one at first blush. Um, first pass, you're kind of like, this seems simple. Um, then there's a question of like customer acquisition cost. Uh, so if you have a much lower customer, like if someone's buying whatever, 10,000 buckles and they took as long to make that deal as someone who buys a hundred buckles, mm -hmm. then there's off, there's, obviously a large savings in just like managing the relationship sure as a cost per buckle like as it boils down to cost per buckle so yeah. but like sort of spreadsheeting that out and figuring out exactly what how you want to play that is um it's hard yeah just like you can plug in all sorts of numbers the use there is still like sort of sensitivity analysis. So like you plug in some numbers and you just sort of see what has an effect. What moves the needle like like you're like, oh, this sort of profile of customer is actually really bad because they take a lot of time. They have high customer acquisition costs. We're giving them a discount, mm -hmm. but they're really not ordering very many. Right. Right. But then you can say, like, for example, that's the profile for like retailers, like yeah. small bike shops, for example. Sure. But there is also an element of like, credibility right like if you see a product in a bunch of small bike shops who are in the know about good equipment then you're mm -hmm. like this must be good so then do you account for that money that you're essentially spending do you account for that as uh marketing marketing you can right yeah. like a lot of people say if you include a sticker or a t-shirt in a package you don't account for that in your cost of goods you account for that in your marketing spend uh -huh. right like this is not but it's all sort of this like soft <laughs> it's not it's yeah there's no like it's, hard and fast rules for it very fuzzy very fun <clears throat> very fuzzy and, and i think this is sort of where experience comes in of people who have seen a bunch of different deals yeah been in business long enough to know like what should your gross margin be roughly for a, a particular type of business yeah right like a a, a mature direct to, to consumer business needs actually very high margins because they have a huge customer acquisition spend. Yeah. I mean, it's not huge, huge, but like... And fulfillment spend and... Yeah. All, all, yeah, they do the things. That yeah, like they're not just making 
money hand over fist. And I say mature because when someone first gets into direct to consumer, I think you can. But eventually, if you are making a huge amount of margin, you're going to have a lot of competitors. Yeah. Um, and then everyone's, yeah, it's going to normalize to like, you know, your 15 to 20% profit overall right. net profit. Um, yeah. anyway, so spent a lot of time sort of talking to people about that, um, to really have a very good understanding, not necessarily of what we want to do with exactly each deal, but we've just started coming across more of these, more of these potential deals where we kind of have to know where we stand and what. Yeah. we can play with so yeah. that's been very time consuming um but definitely worthwhile hmm. um yeah another big one which i'd love to hear anyone who knows more about this um is quality control on safety critical components um so like our buckles are not load rated because yeah. there is a huge difference between like this one buckle went to this load before breaking versus mm -hmm. like we are making a statement that every buckle that ships <clears throat> is going to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so like we don't test every batch of aluminum that comes in the door. Like we don't have a, you know, a test lab that takes a sample and does a tensile test and right. a hardness test and a <laughs> right. So like there's that we don't test every batch of webbing to make sure it's equal to the previous batch. We don't track every batch of aluminum that comes through the door we don't track which products it ended up shipping out as. Yeah. So like a lot of these things, but I'm curious, I'm trying to track down some folks that like maybe Petzl or someone who does this day in day out of mm -hmm. like, say you send something off for third party testing and it comes back certified to X force sure. to failure. What do you do internally on an ongoing basis? Right. Are you, are you pulling every part? to like 10% over working load. Like say your break breaking load is like whatever, 1200 pounds and you're aiming for a three X safety factor. So you have a working rated working load of 400 pounds. Yeah. Do you test every product that you ship to 450 pounds or, you know, whatever. Uh -huh. Do you only test one in 10 or one in a hundred to, to breaking load? <laughs> I don't know. Like what are all those? Yeah. Or how much procedures? of it is just process driven? Like, um, you know, like plane, I guess I think of like aerospace, like a lot of that is not right. They're not load testing every plane. No, they just know it's the same shape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess where I go with that is that like a lot of those processes that the, the process for making the parts is, is pretty frozen or do well documented. Yeah. I guess I'm not sure in load rating, well, this is why you're wanting to ask somebody who knows exactly. what they're talking about, but how much of it can be taken care of via process documentation and process reliability versus actual testing of the product. Yeah. So right now we cut some critical features with a tool that's in an ER 16 call it, which is sort of susceptible to run out and run out is bad in our case. <laughs> like I, yeah, I don't know. Like maybe I should go to shrink fit there for process reliability. Yeah. I mean, you probably should regardless just for your own ease. My own sanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I totally see the temptation. I forget who was talking about this. I think it was Proteum Machine. Uh, Dylan was saying, didn't they get the, uh, what's that fancy call it set up with the press? Oh, uh, Power Grip. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, we just like know this is going to be concentric and it's going to hold. Yeah. And like just the peace of mind. 
or mm-hmm. <laughs> and peace of mind i feel like is similar in quantitative value to quality of life <laughs> um so maybe there's a better way to quantify well reliability is. is real reliability yeah that's yeah i'm more easy to quantify even if we're not going to do it right in this moment <laughs> yep um let's see we have a few small improvements so like uh sam made a place for hanging webbing when we have an issue with like the bar tacker or something and we have a buckle that needs to get re-sewn we cut the webbing off and mm. then that needs to get shortened to a shorter strap that then can get used later uh. and that process didn't really have anywhere to live yeah. and so there was just like a pile of like shorties. miscellaneous shorties <laughs> that you had to sort of sort through uh. and the result was they didn't really get used very much and yeah. now there's just like a clear vi- like visually clear place to glance up and see if there's the strap you need huh. did you ever go back and change your cutting process or is it still the same as it was before we built a new webbing rack yeah and that's helped some but no yeah we haven't you're still using the gun yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to be able to hand, I I was sort of thinking like reading the turd away, I was sort of thinking of giving Sam some like targets for improvement Mm -hmm. on that station, on the assembly station. Uh Cause I just don't like, I don't have the time right now. Like that's not near the top of my list for a machine to build. Right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, (laughs) Yeah, been doing a bunch of 3S stuff. We sort of fell off our doing an hour a day of improvements. Yeah. I sort of realized last week. So we're trying to get back on that because it's really, really helpful yeah. long term. And short term, it's an hour a day. <laughs> so it really eats up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to say. Have stay you thought about that. changing that, like just changing the duration, but like still a doing it every day? day? <laughs> That's a yeah. That's that's fair. Like it doesn't have to be an hour or nothing, right? right? That's true. You should like, probably do that. That could be if you like implement kind of a playbook scenario. That could be like a right part of the play. Is that's, like I like that because we do shift our target production day to day. Uh huh. Not every day, but like every couple of days, we'll update it. Yeah. Like if we get a big order, we'll update it. If we don't have big orders, we'll sort of downgrade it. Uh huh. Right. Um, so maybe similarly, we should be playing with our ratio of production to improvement. Yeah. Kind of. I like that. It's a good idea. Yeah. Bam. This is why we do this podcast. <laughs> Purely for our own purposes. <laughs> um, I think that might be a good place to wrap it up for today. Unless you have anything yeah. else you want to touch on? No. Uh, I think that's about it. Cool. Well, thank everybody for listening. Um, you can find me on Instagram at lichen underscore MFG. And you can find me at austere underscore manufacturing and the podcast at incremental CI. Um, we love hearing from everyone and please keep tagging us in improvements. It's fun to see what everyone's doing, um, sharing it and kind of getting inspiration from everyone. Um, Till next week. Talk to you soon.